Buongiorno. Ciao. <laughs> That's all I got for you. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Nice to see you. How are you? Good. good. I'm good. Would you like to sit down while I talk to you? Yes. Please. So I'm glad you're here. Carl already welcomed you, and Josh welcomed you. I'm glad you're here. My name is Brad Franklin. If we've not met, uh, some of you go, no, you don't have to tell us who you are. It's like, yeah, some of you are new since I've been here last. And so if we have not met yet, I'm glad you're here. And just want you to know, I, I, I'm hopeful that Lakeside Church becomes a place that you grow up in your faith in Christ, and you learn how to walk with Him, and how to live for Him, and, and how to let God, the life of Christ fill you up. So I hope that's kind of happening in your journey. If you're newer with us, if you've been here for a while, I missed you. And uh, it's great to see you. I, I just got back from my um, audience with the Pope. Yeah, no, I did. I, I had a little audience with the Pope, Donna and me and the Pope. Yeah, he's the guy in white. Yeah, and about 80,000 of his closest friends were, you know, was, who was there with that. So good stuff. So I just got back from our sabbatical and uh, I, I got all these pictures. I got like 2,000 pictures of all over Italy and I just thought I'd show them to you today. With that, I got my slide projector back there and everything. Huh, is that all right? Because I know how people love people's vacation pictures. <laughs> hmm, nervous laughter. <laughs> so, actually what I want to do is talk to you a little bit about the things that I learned as a follower of Jesus from this time that we had away. And before I get into that, I just want to say thank you again. The church gives us uh, the gift of being able to have a sabbatical every now and then and just to get away and just go do something that's refreshing. And I just found our journey so refreshing and so filling up. And uh, what I want to do today is just share some of those things with you. So we spent four weeks in Italy with a little side trip over to Greece and to Turkey. And uh, we, uh, it was kind of an interesting trip because I sort of served as, as the travel agent and the tour guide and the tourist all in one package, which is a little bit hard to do, a little challenging. I didn't realize how hard that would be until we got in there and, and we're doing this. And so sometimes we got off script a little bit. You know, so um, like everyone said, the food was really great, really like amazing food in Italy. So I'm all charged up. I can't wait, you know, and we're going to have this food. So the first night we're in Venice and we're at this little outdoor cafe thing, like the little romantic lights up above us and all this just beautiful stuff. And, and I'm like, okay, we're going to have this meal. But then, they, then I find out they've got like five courses to every meal. You know, I'm like, am I supposed to pick one of each? I'm going to weigh 300 pounds when I get back. I, I don't know how to do this. And then it's all in Latin. Or Italian, or I don't know what it was, and so I couldn't really read the menu, right? So we're very first night in Italy, we're at this little romantic place, I'm going to have this fabulous Italian meal, so I, I just ordered two of the, you know, five courses that you can get, you know, and so I, my first course was spaghetti. I'm like, I'm on a good track, right? That's, I'm, I'm going the right direction. My second course was fish and chips. I'm like, I'm in Italy. How do I end up with fish and chips on my plate? I don't get how this happens. So sometimes got a little off track. One of the things we decided to do was when we were going around, we thought, well, every region of Italy has specialty foods. You know, there's, there's unique food to each region. So one place up on the west coast of Italy called Cinque Terre, they invented focaccia bread. And they invented pesto. And so they, they give you these sandwiches, pesto focaccia sandwiches. They're just fabulous. Like, oh, if I can eat the local specialty in each of these places, this will be a really cool journey. So we got to our last stop in a little town called Assisi. Some of you have heard of Francis of Assisi. Well, there, that's where we were. And so um, we're going to order this specialty. Well, they had two regional specialties in that, in that place. One of them was steak. 
I'm like, well, I, I'd go for the steak. That would be all right. But we had steak already because it was specialty someplace else too. And so they had another specialty. So I'm reading it on the menu. I'm like, okay, we're going to have the other specialty. And that specialty was called piccione. You ever had piccione? You know what it translates into in English? Pigeon. I've eaten pigeon. Fortunately, pigeon is really small. So you don't have to eat too much of it to say I've eaten pigeon. How's that? So sometimes you got a little off track or a little, you know, out of sync with, you know, the, the fabulous trip or whatever. But all that stuff was good. And uh, we just enjoyed the whole, the whole process of what we're going through. I, I felt like sometimes, like in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, there's this little statement where the writer says, All these early believers did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, like at somebody else's table, you know. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers in the land. Like, okay, that was us in Italy. We were foreigners and strangers in the land. Didn't understand a lot of stuff that was going on, but loved it. And one of the things I did learn was how to order gelato. I learned that first day. Never forgot. Oh, I shouldn't have looked at that. So while we were there, our goal was to experience um, what I called a sacred architectural tour. I just thought, you know what? God has gifted some people, some artists and some architects over the centuries to build buildings that are amazing, inspiring chapels for worship. And some of those cathedrals and buildings are filled up with wonderful works of art, and the churches use those for hundreds of years to teach people about the faith. And so stained glass windows in Gothic cathedrals are to teach people about the faith, and the paintings in Renaissance Uh, churches and cathedrals are designed to teach people about the faith. And so we said, let's just go and look at the architecture and look at the art and see how it inspires us and how it instructs us and how churches and Christians have used that over the years to grow up in their faith in Christ. And so let's just go check it out. So we saw some amazing things as you can imagine. And I'll I'll show you some. I'm not going to show you all 2,000, but I'll show you a few for for the three of you who really want to see this. The rest of you just wait for it. So here's the cathedral in Milan. That... Going in there, honestly, took my breath away. Uh, and, and that was fun because while we were there, um, we had this little strategy. We didn't always want to see the same thing with each other. And so um, we had this little strategy where um, Donna would go one way in the cathedral and I'd go the other. And I'd say, you know, we'll meet back at the front door at noon or something like that. And so we just kind of wander around. So in this cathedral, I'm up in the front row and I'm just going to have some meditation time and some prayer time. I'm just kind of taking everything in. Now I hear someone slide into the bench behind me. And so, and then pretty soon they tap me on the shoulder and, and this woman's voice says, Scusi, Spreckensy English? I'm like, wow, your German and your Italian is worse than mine. I can help this person. So I turned around, and it turns out that it's Dan and Diane Osier from Lakeside Church. <laughs> We're there one day, and they show up in the cathedral the same day we are. I'm like, God, that was a gift from you. I've been, I've been living with Italian people who I can't understand for a whole week, and you put the Osiers in our life. That, what a gift that was. That was fun. And it uh, turned out Donna stalked them. Or she, she saw Dan, you know, and so she, she wasn't sure because she's like 9,000 miles from home, right? So she's like, that looks like Dan Osher, but I'm not sure. So she stalked him. <laughs> I'm like, Donna, enough of the stalking already, you know? It's no more of that. So anyway, we got to go to a little town called Assisi where I, had, where I tried pigeon for the first time and last time. And so outside of my window at our hotel, we saw the Church of St. Clair. That's the room, that's the view from my window uh, while we we're in that hotel. Uh, we got to go to Florence. We saw the Duomo in Florence, and uh, that's a picture of that. That's a cathedral in Florence. 
Uh, so now we, we got to actually climb inside that dome. So now I've climbed half dome and I've climbed whole dome. It's pretty nice. In, inside the dome, the walkway's up. They've got this sign we found. It's not working. In Rome, we got to visit the Pantheon. The Pantheon was built as a temple for pagan worship. And somewhere along the line, it was converted for its use into a Christian church. And of course, while we were there in Rome, we got to go to the um, St. Peter's Basilica. We got to see the Sistine Chapel. We got to see some of these amazing things. We saw churches, church buildings of all different sizes, different shapes, different amounts of bling inside and outside. And one of the things we realized was the biggest one, the brightest one, the most glorious one was not really our favorite. Sometimes a humble bench overlooking the ocean can be a wonderful chapel. And you know that. I'm not telling you anything that's surprising yet today, right? I mean, you know you can worship here among us. This is a great gift to be able to worship together. I can't tell you from my, from my perspective how great the gift is to be able to worship with a bunch of people that you love and you want to serve Christ with together in a community. That's a gift. And we can worship the Lord together here. But, you know, you can, I, I worship really well in my hammock in my backyard too. So, you know, a bench... Uh, overlooking the ocean can work, or a great cathedral can work. It's not really about the architecture, although the architecture can inspire and and move us. I want to talk a little bit about church, not the churches necessarily. we'll, We'll talk about it, but I want to talk about church, and I want to talk about hope with you for a minute today. Because church is all about hope. If the church doesn't offer hope, it doesn't offer anything. So if you have your Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 16. I want to read for you a little story that comes from the life of Jesus. It's Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus is with his disciples, so that would be people like us. Let me read the story for you. Matthew 16, verse 13, it starts off like this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, let's just stop with that. What happens is Jesus has his disciples in a room or in this area, and he says, hey, I I just want to ask you guys a question. And I look at it, and I say, that's the most important question you will ever address in your life. Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? What are they saying about the Son of Man, which is a title he got from the Old Testament to describe the Messiah. He took that title on himself. Who do people say I am? And the disciples started piping up and they got all these answers. So here's how the story continues. Truly I tell you, oh, that's the wrong page. Excuse me, verse, I'm out of practice at this thing. So verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And in that little story, Jesus makes a promise. He says, I will build my church. Now, the Catholic Church has taken that, and they said, well, you know, Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom, so every time you see a statue or a painting of Peter in Italy, you'll find he has keys in his hand. So here's a statue of him right in front of St. Peter's Basilica. He's got keys in his hand. 
But there's other things that are going on in this story that we, that we miss sometimes where we get kind of a, a, a wrong perspective on. I just want to help us think this through a little bit and what's going on in the story. Jesus says, now tell me again, now, now who do people say that I am? And the disciples had all these answers. They said, well, some people are saying that you're John the Baptist, which would have been a miracle because John the Baptist had already been beheaded by that time. Well, also would have been a miracle because John the Baptist was someone else. You know, so how do you get to be John when you're Jesus? You know, how does that work, right? And they, some people said, no, 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 you're Elijah. Jesus is Elijah, which that would have been a miracle because Elijah never died. He was taken right up to heaven in a chariot of fire, which is the way I want to go. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they said, some of, some of them are saying that you're Jeremiah or the one of the prophets. And then Jesus turned it around. He said, now this question is even more important than the first question. Here's the question for you. Who do you say I am? I think this will be the most important question you will ever address in your life. Who do you say Jesus is? Everybody in the world has to come to grips with this question when Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And the answer to that question changes everything. Peter speaks up. He always spoke up first. Some of us have the habit of speaking first. Some of us have the realization that that's not always the best habit to be in. But here's Peter. He speaks up first. He goes, oh, Jesus, I know this one. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, right on, Peter. You didn't get that from flesh and blood. In other words, don't think you're so smart that you figured that out yourself. God gave that to you. That was revealed to you by my father in heaven. And that's And that's right. I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, says Jesus. And then Jesus made a promise. He said, your name is Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, that promise doesn't come through very well in English. You know, the words change a little bit in English. It doesn't really help us. Let me tell you what the background is. Jesus says, your name is Peter. That's a Greek word. the, The word is Petros. And Petros is a word that means little stone. I have a, little, I have a nephew. He's about two years old. He's about this tall. And, uh, and uh, his name is Rocky. They call him Little Rock. You know, it's like, yeah, that's... And you know what that... You could translate Little Rock into, into Greek. You know what the word would be? Peter. Petros. Jesus says, Peter, your name is Little Rock. And then he goes on, he says, and on this rock I will build my church. So some people have taken this and they said, oh, Peter is the rock. And Jesus is going to build his church on Peter the rock. But they missed the translation of the scripture. It says, Jesus says to Peter, your name is Little Rock, Petros. But on this rock, Petra. It's the same root word, but it's a different form of the word. And Petra means foundation stone. It means bedrock. You are, you are little rock, Peter, but on this big foundation stone, I will build my church. What is that? It's not one human being. It's not even a whole bunch of human beings. It's the statement that Peter made. Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, on that rock, on that statement of faith, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What's Hades? Do you know what Hades is? Hell? Yeah? Yeah? It's the place of the dead. Best, best translation you can find of Hades is it's, it's the realm of the dead. 
And it can refer to hell. It can be kind of refer to a final resting place. It could refer to a grave. It's just the realm of the dead. So Jesus says, on this foundation that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of the realm of the dead will not prevail against it or overcome it. Now keep in mind that last part and let me just, let me come back to it in a little bit. Jesus promised I will build my church. And so I'm over in Italy looking at, you know, sacred architecture. I'm like, oh Jesus, which one's your favorite? You know, do you like the Gothic cathedral in Milan? Or do you like the Renaissance look of Florence? Or do you like the medieval look of Trastevere? What, you know, Jesus, what's your favorite kind of architecture? If you're going to build your church, how would you build it? Which one of those? Or would you just do like a, a, a cool modern box like Lakeside? I don't know. I, I like it, you know. Jesus goes, not about architecture. It's about life. Church is not about buildings. It's about people. This building sits here vacant most of the week. You can drive by and go, there's Lakeside Church. And I go, no, not really. There's a place where Lakeside Church meets. I saw all these beautiful sites in Italy. I'm not, I'm not trying to flatter you or butter you up, but to, to stand up here and see this site is the most beautiful site I saw, I've seen. Because we're the church of Jesus Christ and we come together and we say we're going to worship Christ together and then we're going to get sent out into this world and we're going to make a difference in this world for the sake of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And we're going to change the world through him. That's beautiful. Jesus says it's not about, it's not about architects. It's not about contractors. It's not about buildings. Buildings are useful, but it's about people. The Apostle Paul was describing how Jesus would build his church in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. He said, since you were eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those gifts that build up the church. Well, what are the gifts that build up the church? Well, you know, architects, they build up the church. Or contractors, they build up the church. Carpenters, they build up the church. Well, of course, there's nothing wrong with being an architect. Praise God for architects and for contractors and for carpenters and all of those kind of trades. But what Paul says is seek those gifts that really build up the church, which is the people, which means he wants you to excel in gifts like teaching and prophecy and serving and mercy and helping. Those are the gifts that build up the church. When we were in Florence, we got connected with a couple by the name of Andrea and Susan Georgie. They're friends of some other lakesiders, and they connected us together with them. Andrea and Susan, about eight years ago, started a church, a new church. And some people would say, aren't there enough churches in Florence? And I would say, if it's about the buildings, absolutely there are. But if it's about the people, absolutely there's not enough. It's depressing how few people are involved in church in Italy. But it's not about the buildings, it's about the people. And so here, Andrea and and Susan, they came along and they started this church in Florence. They don't have a cathedral to meet in. They don't have a Duomo to meet in. They don't even have a church building to meet in. They don't even have a box. They have to rent a facility. You know where they get their facility? You know the facility they rent? It's the Florence Communist Community Center. (laughs) 
Oh, the irony. Imagine they go to the communist committee. They say, comrade, we'd like to rent your building. Probably not comrade. We'd like to rent your building. The committee says, we don't even believe in God and you're a church. Why would we give our building to you so you can promote God through our communist community center? But somehow they prevailed and maybe somehow God opened the door. And so now their church is meeting in this communist community center. We got to go in and worship with them one Sunday. Reminded me of Lakeside Church about 20 years ago. It's amazing. It was full of faith. It was full of life. And it was full of hope. That's kind of how it rolls for those who are followers of Jesus. Wherever there is faith in Christ, there's life in him. And wherever there's life in him, there is hope. It's why God has us together as a church. God does not have us together as a church to come in every weekend and go, hey, la, 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 you know, listen to a talk, good good talk, you know, see you next week. That's really not most of what it's about. Most of it is about being out there and saying, "I, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and I'm going to live for him. And I'm going to bring faith that he gave to me and the life that he gave to me, and I'm going to bring it into this world in the form of hope. That's what Jesus calls us to. And some of you, you may have come in today and and your life doesn't feel very hopeful. And some of you are not even yet connected to Jesus. You've been coming to church because your friend's been talking to you a little bit about Jesus. And so you're sort of figuring this thing out, but you don't really have it figured out. You don't have it dialed in yet. But you're coming and you're sort of thinking about it. But you go, yeah, my life has no hope. Where people believe in Jesus, there is faith. And where there is faith in Jesus, there is life in him. Where there's life, there's hope. That's what we got to see in that little church in Florence. It's what I feel when we're together here as a church. It's what I see when I watch Lakesiders engaging in our community. Hope. One of the things I watched while we were visiting these various churches around Italy was... uh, there's a, there's a cultural, theological thing that happens in these churches. Now, again, these churches are hundreds of years old. And uh, we started walking into churches in Venice. And I noticed really quickly in these churches, they were all similar in some way. They're all different shapes and sizes and all that stuff. But they all were similar in that they all had tombs in them. Every church had coffins or caskets or sarcophaguses, which is better to say tomb. Right? So they had, these, they had these graves in the church. And there was sort of this cultural or theological persuasion that said, you know, the closer you can be buried to the church, the better chance you have for eternal life. And so, you know, if you're in the cemetery outside the church, that's pretty good. But if you can get buried inside the church, like you're a bishop or something, or you're like, you have some cash, you know, good. You could be buried inside the church and that would be good. So there's all these burial sites inside the church. And then we went to Milan and we realized when we were in the cathedral in Milan that over on this side of the nave, which is what we call an auditorium, on this side of the nave, there were two tombs that were lit up. And they were lit up because they were glass tombs. And over in the corner on this side of the church, they had two tombs with old dead bishops in the boxes. Here's a picture of one of the bishops. Now they put a silver mask on his face so that you couldn't see death in his face, but they didn't cover up his hands. And if you can look closely enough, you'll see death in his hands. He's been there for over 100 years. 
it got worse when we went into a town called Luca. And in Luca, we went into one of the churches there. And when you first walk in the front doors of the church, not off to the side, not up by the altar, although that happened in certain churches as well. But in this case, right in the front and center of the church, right when you walk in the door, like in the lobby, is a casket, a glass casket containing the remains of St. Zita. And you can see death in her hands. And they didn't cover her face. And you can see death in her face. Now, my role is not to be a critic of someone else's way of worship, but let me just ask the question for us to think about for us. If you're a teenager, you're 18 years old, and, you're, and some friend invites you to church, and you come to church, and you walk in the lobby, and the first thing you see is a casket with a saint who's 300 years old, and you see her in that stage of death. Are you, are you really going to think, oh, this is the life for me. Oh, this is the place for me. That's what I want to end up like. Hope. Is that what you hope for? My highest hope is to end up in a grave in a box in glass so everyone can see me decay. The church is about hope. Where there is faith in Christ, there is life in him. Where there is life in Christ, there is hope. Now the truth is, the Bible says every one of us has become subject to sin. In Romans, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And because we fall short of God's glory, we become in bondage to this thing called sin. And it always leads to death. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. The reason St. Zita died is because we sin, because she sinned, because the world has sinned. We, we die. We all, we all die. Where's the hope then? In Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, it says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and of death. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been set free from the law of sin and death that binds you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you are trusting Jesus Christ, you've been set free from the law of sin and death that gives you no hope. The Bible says that if you believe in Jesus Christ, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free. When we were in Florence, we walked into one church. Don't remember the name of the church, but we walked into one church and we did our thing. We kind of separated and went out through the church and kind of looked around. And, and the thing that I noticed when I first walked in the doors was there was a banner in this church. And it was a banner of life. Easter had happened four weeks before we arrived. And I don't know why they didn't take the banner down because it was right smack in the middle of the front door. But the banner looked like this. It's a little out of focus. That's, that's not your eyes. That's my photography. But it says, Christ is risen. Joy hope, optimism. 
we looked around the church. I had that tucked away in my camera. And then we met up and we walked out outside the church. And as we're walking out the door of the church, Donna turned to me and she said, wow, it just seemed like that church had some life to it. And many of the churches we saw didn't seem to have much life. They were better museums than places to house God's church at this point. And we walked out and Donna goes, wow, it looks like that church just had some life to it. I said, did you see the sign on the way in? Did you see the banner? She goes, I, I didn't see any banner. I, I told her, I showed her on my camera. Here's what the banner said. Christ is risen. Joy, hope, optimism. Because where there is faith in Christ, there is life. And where there is life in Christ, there is hope. It's why I love Blitz. As you know, some of you are going to volunteer in Blitz, Right? I'm going to volunteer in Blitz all week, and I I can't wait. We're going to have 1,500 children running around in this room and on the field and all that stuff. This place will be filled with life, and it will be filled with faith. And we're going to have a chance next week to be able to share with 1,500 children the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And we get to share with 1,500 children. We have 150 high school kids going to houseboat trip in a couple of weeks. And many of those high school students don't yet follow Jesus or know him or love him. And we're going to have a chance to proclaim faith and life and hope in Christ to those students. And many of them will put their faith in Christ when they go. And repeat that and repeat that and repeat that and repeat that. And that's the story of the church. That's why I love Lakeside. That's why I love being together on mission with you. Because God is working through us to bring faith and life and hope to this world. That's what it's about. Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you for all that you pour out to us. Thank you that when we were slaves to sin, you gave up your life, you rose again from the grave, and you set us free from the law of sin and of death. Jesus, thank you for that. Would you lead us forward? Would you lead this summer as we're having barbecues and picnics and and times with our neighbors and friends, would you lead us forward to bring your faith and life and hope to this community? And Lord, be honored through us, your church. Amen.